0: morning and praise God for the time that we get to spend together. Uh, Thank God for the ability to look into his word and for us to be able to stay here and praise Jesus together. Um, It was actually quite a rousing morning this morning. I I, I rather enjoy hearing the hymns and the songs that we sing around Christmas, especially during Advent, because Advent is honestly one of my favorite uh, seasons of the year. Uh, It's weird for me to say that because I'm probably the only person in this congregation who has not put up any Christmas decorations yet. Uh, People sometimes believe that I don't have any Christmas spirit at all. But the fact is, I really, really enjoy the Advent season and especially the period just before Christmas because Christmas is a very important holiday. I, I, I know that's not hard to see in the world that we see around us. They're going to be celebrating Christmas for, you know, months and months in advance. I mean, they, they keep uh, going further and further into the year. I think they started celebrating Christmas in September this year, uh, and it keeps getting, getting that way. But in the Christian world, Christmas is an extremely important holiday, and there's, there's reasons for that. We've been going through a, a short book by Timothy Keller over the last couple of weeks, this is the third week of Advent, uh, called Hidden Christmas. And Hidden Christmas has a, a bunch of different sections that talk about different ways that people talk about the, the gospel and about Christmas coming. And if you remember uh, our brother John Anderson, he preached about how uh, the prophecies of Isaiah speak about Jesus Christ. And then we heard Brother Paul Winger uh, preach about how uh, we can see the, the gospel in, as the wise men search for the baby Jesus, the king, the king who was to come. And I, I was pretty excited to be able to preach in this series, but I am a little worried about specifically the text that I'm going to be in and the title that I was given You see, I am supposed to speak on the faith of Mary. Now, if you're interested, well, that's interesting sounds there. Please turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be starting to read at uh, verse 26. But please go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And while you're going there, I will explain my trepidation about faith. You see, there are few words that are more important to solid Christian Christian belief, Christian understanding, than the word faith. Faith is the way that we please God. The Bible will tell us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who would please God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. The the, the main center of the Protestant Reformation was the doctrine that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. There are few words more important in the Christian gospel than faith. And yet, faith is probably one of the most misunderstood and maligned words in our modern speaking. Tell me if you've ever heard this. You guys are people of faith. You have faith, I have, well, you know, insert whatever new thing that they have, or it's science or understanding or myself or whatever, as if faith is something that they don't have, and we just have this kind of thing named faith. We are called people of faith because we show up at church on Sunday morning or we believe in a religious perspective as if not everybody has faith. Uh, There are people like the great devangelist, uh, Richard Dawkins, who will tell you that faith is a a type of non-thought. People will say, even Christians will say that I don't need evidence, I don't need to understand anything because I have faith. Yet, I think the biggest problem that we have in our society today is the lack of faith. Think about it for a second. Why do most of our fights happen? Husbands and wives can have fights with one another because they don't have faith in their partner. Their faith goes down a little bit, so they imagine that they have to do something to regain the love and affection of their spouse, because they don't have faith that their spouse already loves them. When we have political debates in the modern world, we talk about the way that people, you know, either be- don't have belief in the government or in scientists or in uh, big pharma, or we don't—they don't have faith in the way that people work in politics, in the Republican Party or the Conservative Party, or in everybody is just not having a lot of faith in other people. It's a lack of faith, a lack of trust, a lack of belief. And of course, there's good reason for this. Let's face it, our faith can be betrayed. I mean, I I can't pretend that it isn't true. Sometimes things that we have deep faith in are false. Sometimes our faith betrays us. Yet, the problem isn't the faith. The problem is the object of the faith. And so into all of that, I was given the topic, the faith of Mary. So during the next 30 minutes or so, I have to explain to you why faith is not only important, not only good, not only necessary, but that it's beautiful and joyful and necessary and good. You see, the fact is, we all have faith. We all have faith. Every last one of us. Some of us have faith in what the news tells us. Some of us have faith in what our own emotions tell us. Some of us have faith in what Uh, I don't know, that your favorite pastor or preacher tells you. Some of us have faith in what your favorite movie star or musical artist will tell you. And yet we as Christians are called to have faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, a faith in someone who works in this world, who loves us, and who is the ground of truth. Faith in someone who will never betray us, namely God. And the example that we have here, the example that the Scripture gives us, and this is, by the way, one of the reasons I really love the Scriptures. It's because the Scriptures generally give us examples of things that we think we know. But if you look a little harder, you can see that... Things are different than we thought they were. Things are more nuanced, more interesting, more, well, life-giving than we thought they were. And we'll be looking at, uh, at Mary. Mary, who was just a, a girl living in the ancient Near East, living as a Jew among Jewish people, waiting for the Messiah, and God comes to her. And we usually use her as an example of faith because, you know, she does actually believe the angel, but it's far more nuanced than that. There's far more interesting things going on here. If you're already at Luke chapter 1, verse 26, I'll just go ahead and read the first couple of verses just so you can get a view. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. A virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Many years ago when I was growing up uh, in the 1990s, there was this TV show called Touched by an Angel. And it was interesting because every single time the problem was happening and the angel would be working in the background and then at the, at the apex of the entire thing, she would reveal herself to the, to the other characters and they would, they would realize, wow, this is an angel. And so because of this, everybody automatically believed whatever she was saying and kind of got you know okay with this. And yet that's not the example we see here. Mary's immediate response is to be troubled by an angel, not touched by one. In fact, she tries to discern what sort of greeting this may be. So there's an angel before her, the angel is telling her stuff and she's going, okay, this is weird. What the heck is going on here? I think this is important because our this is important to notice because our example of faith, the person that we were are told is one of the most faithful people in the Bible doesn't start with credulity. That's not where her faith lies. She doesn't just simply take in whatever it comes into her head as if it's gospel truth. The word therefore, discern isn't just, well, you know, I'm I'm wondering what this might be. No, she's trying to go through her head and figure out what the heck is going on here. She's probably thinking through the things that she's been taught, the things that she knows. Now, to be clear, this isn't complete doubt. She isn't thinking, oh my goodness, I I must have eaten something terrible at at the falafel stand. She's saying that she doesn't know what's happening here. That's gonna be important for us. You see, faith doesn't mean you understand everything. Faith doesn't mean that you necessarily know exactly how things are working. Mary is actually showing faith here. She does have a type of doubt though. It's important to recognize that there are different kinds of doubt because Her kind of doubt is, well, the kind of doubt that we should have. You see there's a, as Tim Keller says in the book that I'm coming from here, there's a kind of doubt that is a sign of a closed mind, and there's a kind of a doubt that is the sign of an open mind. Some doubt seeks answers, and some doubt is a defense against the possibility of answers. Sometimes our doubt is based in our faith in God. We don't know what God is doing and so we don't understand how this is working and so we have to spend time talking to God and asking God and praying to God, what, Lord, what the heck is going on here? If you think that's a bad thing, go read the Psalms for a few minutes. You'll, if you go through maybe three Psalms, four at the tops, you'll find at least one that is about a guy who doesn't understand what the heck God is doing. He believes in God, but he doesn't get it. It's important to recognize this because when we say faith, when I say faith, I'm not saying that you need to believe absolutely everything that comes out of my mouth. Uh, I'm just a guy who went through a lot of schooling and I make mistakes. No, I want you to believe what the Bible says and who Jesus says he is. So you need to doubt me because you have faith in Jesus. Sometimes you'll need to doubt the things that other people say because you have faith in Jesus. Because God is saying things and you need to know what he's saying. But we'll get more into this in the future here because there's a lot to get to. So this happens. She's having the doubt. Gabriel kind of seems to understand that, and so he continues in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's a pretty large promise. But if you've been here for a couple of weeks, you've seen this promise before, haven't you? Remember what, uh, what our brother John preached from, This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, sorry, and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here's the situation. Mary is minding her own business. The angel Gabriel literally shows up to her. She's not asking for it. She's not expecting it. But Gabriel comes before her and says, hey, how's it going? You're you're blessed by God. And Mary doesn't understand what's going on. And so the angel continues and gives the most extreme promise we see in the Old Testament and gives it specifically to her. The child that will be born in your womb will fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah. The promise that you and your people have been waiting for for centuries is about to be fulfilled and it will be fulfilled in you. That's a little bit of a big promise, don't you think? Just a little large. And of course, the modern way that we sometimes think about faith, if we're going to be denigrating faith, we're going to say that immediately then, well, if Mary's going to be faithful, she's just going to say, yep, that's great. She's just going to go off and say, this is a great thing. This makes sense. This works works powerfully for me. I'm going to go ahead and believe it because, you know, my faith needs to be strong or, or God won't be able to do anything. That's not the way faith works, and that's not the way Mary's faith works. Notice what she how she replies. Luke 1:34 Then Mary said to the angel, "How will this be since I am a virgin?" Now, get the situation. She is faced with an angel. She may know that this is an angel, but she doesn't really quite believe that this could possibly be coming to her. And so she asks a question that makes sense. But we're going to be a little bit, if you've read the rest of Luke, especially the verses that came before, you should be a little bit scared for Mary. Because there was another person who had a visitation by this angel. And he asked a question, and he got struck dumb for the next nine months. Remember the situation here. This is in Luke chapter 1 verses 18 to 20. Now get the situation. Zechariah is a is a priest of the of the almighty God. He's giving an opportunity to come before to give sacrifices and incense before the Lord. And while he's there, the angel Gabriel appears to him and tells him about the birth of his son, John the Baptist. There's a couple of lessons to be learned here. First of all, uh, God doesn't need your permission to act. Just That's a small one. These things will come to, pl- come to play. Zechariah doesn't need to have faith for God to work. God will work because he's God. But more importantly, there is a way that you can be saying questions and asking things of God that is not born of faith. There is a kind of doubt that as Tim Keller would say, is designed to prevent answers. That's the kind of, faith, that's the kind of doubt you see here from Zechariah. Now, before we get mad at Zechariah and think that he's in a terrible position, just understand the situation that he's in. He's an old man. Right now, the apex of his life is the fact that he's able to uh, offer incense to God in the temple. Him and his wife are, they're godly people. They're very godly people, but they haven't been blessed with children. And in the time period that we're talking about here, not being blessed with children means you're an ungodly person. So other people are whispering behind their backs about, well, they must have some sin in their life. He's... He's probably dealt with this for years. He's gone home over and over again to his wife, whom he loves. And she's had to deal with another day of people saying that she wasn't godly enough to bear him as a son. And so, all of this time he's been, his faith in God, in a good God, who loves him and cares for him and wants his good, has been eroding. And finally, when this angel appears to him, he just doesn't have it in him to believe. Brothers and sisters, isn't that some us sometimes? We've seen so many opportunities and things that God, we think, should have done. So many times when there are things that we think should have happened. So many times when we've had to go home and said, God, I don't know what you're doing. And I don't know how you can be working in this situation. And the answer of faith is to say, but I know you are. But it is so easy to lose faith in God, isn't it? Because so often we don't understand what he's doing. So often bad things actually do happen. Those people in Nigeria are brothers and sisters in Christ who face horrific persecution. That doesn't mean they aren't believers. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. When we face difficulties and trials here, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Let me play, say that without the double negative. God still loves you. And yet it can be hard to believe that. And so Zechariah, in this kind of a situation, he falls into what is the easiest sin for us. He loses faith in God. He asks... How shall I know this? Give me proof. Show to me that this is the case. Please give me a reason to believe this because I don't believe it. Now, of course, that is sin. Let's be clear. He's losing, he's lost his faith in God. He's asking God to give him proof. He's testing the Lord, his God. That's what he's doing. You can understand why he's doing it, but that's what he's doing. That's not the way that Mary is asking. You see, Mary asked a question to see if this was, in fact, the case for her. She still believes that God can do this. She still believes that God may do this. What she wants to know is that God will do this. Zechariah, it looks like, he's not even sure God can do this anymore. You see, some doubt is a desire to find answers, and some doubt is a desire to protect against answers. Zechariah is honestly disbelieving an angel that is standing before him. Get the under, just understand how deep his disbelief has to be. He's in the temple of God, giving incense to God. And an angel appears before him, and he's disbelieving. Mary was simply wondering how this is going to work. How is this going to happen? In both cases, God answers the question. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35 to 37, here's what the angel says to Mary. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I don't know if Mary already knew that Elizabeth was pregnant. Six months pregnant, she's probably showing by now. It looks likely that she wasn't, she didn't know this interesting in one sense too because it's god fulfilling his promise to zechariah that's actually going to provide the proof to mary that he will do these things but she is in she's at least willing to believe she's she still has a faith in god above all else not in herself not in her own situation not in her despair But both of them face a difficult situation because people don't change their opinions quickly without countervailing evidence. And an opinion held deeply, it's gonna take a lot of evidence. That's what Zechariah required. But we need to be careful when we face the questions and doubts in our own minds. And yes, uh, I'm going to say this right now because sometimes Christians imagine that no Christian ever has doubts I don't know if I've ever met a Christian that has never doubted anything. I I, I don't think that has happened. Uh, Maybe if somebody has been Christian for about 30 seconds, it could happen. I don't know. Most people actually have to deal with the fact that they don't see the the way that God is working. But we do need to be careful about the way we face doubt. Because doubt isn't disbelief. But if your doubt is based in disbelief, Your doubt is going to reaffirm the disbelief. Here's what I mean. Some questions, some doubts are meant to find answers. Some doubts are meant to protect you against answers. Sometimes we have doubts so that we can can come to a disbelief in God, so we don't have to believe that God really does require the things that he requires, that God really does act the way he does, that righteousness looks the way it really does. Sometimes we don't want to believe that, and so we have doubts, and we manufacture them in our heads. And let's be careful, the smarter you are, the easier it is to come up with more doubts that are going to seem acceptable to you. But some doubt is just simply meant to find answers. Sometimes you believe that God really is good. Sometimes you believe that God really does do what he says he's going to do, but you don't see how. That's a real doubt. That's a real doubt you should bring to God. And that's not actually a bad thing. Sometimes you need to... But telling the difference between them, honestly, it's going to be difficult because... The heart is deceitful above all things. Sometimes you don't even realize your own motivations. You see, the difference is there is a faith that seeks to stay in its position, and there is a faith that seek, or there is a doubt that seeks to stay in its own position, and there is a doubt that seeks to understand. It's what Anselm of Canterbury and Saint Augustine would call faith seeking understanding. Or if you want to use the big Latin term because everything sounds nicer in Latin, fides quillens intellectum, that you can drop that at a party over Christmas. It'll be useful. People will think you're smart. I know I use it all the time. Mary is seeking understanding, but she isn't there yet. Notice what Mary responds with in verse, chapter 1, verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, sometimes when you see the movie versions of, G, of Mary responding at this point, she's got a little halo over her head, and this is amazing because she's showing faith. I think this is kind of underwhelming on the faith scale, don't you think? She's saying, okay, let it be that way. Notice she, we don't see her reacting in joy. We don't see her going to tell other people about how awesome this is. Instead, what does she do? She goes to talk to, to Elizabeth. You see, she wants her, her faith to be confirmed and the angel has given her a way to have the confirmation. Namely, go see if your, sis, your cousin is pregnant. So that's exactly what she does. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a ho- town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Obviously not Zechariah, because Zechariah can't talk. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is the one who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed her faith was weak, Her faith was questioning, her faith had doubts, she had no idea how this was going to work, but she believed that God would work. She didn't quite get it all the way. She didn't react with joy at that point, but now she's going to break forth with joy she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now, notice a couple of things. First of all, Mary doesn't actually know for a fact, at least beyond all doubt whatsoever, that Jesus is going to be born and do all this stuff. She has just seen the confirmation that the angel has given to her. Has Jesus yet been put on the throne of David? Has Jesus yet saved his people Israel from their sin? Nope. Has Jesus yet shown wisdom beyond his years and taught the people to follow? Not yet. Has Jesus even been born? Nope. And yet Mary knows that because God has been faithful in the past, she can trust him to be faithful in the future. Because he has shown the truth of what he says, Mary now understands that he will show the truth in the future. And that's why she praises God in the past tense for these things. Things that haven't yet been done, but that will be done in God. She channels all of the the prophets of the Old Testament to express why God is so good. It's, it's simple. She's looking through God's present faithfulness to recognize his future faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, that's what faith is. That's what godly faith is anyway. To look through the way that God is working in your life, has worked in your life, the way that God has worked throughout history, the way God works in the word of God, And to understand that because he has done good things, he will continue to do good things. He has been trustworthy in the past. There is no reason to believe he will not be trustworthy in the future. And Mary sees it. Mary understands that this is the case, that all of the promises will be yes and amen because God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. What does that mean for us in Christmas? Well, glad you asked. Because there's a strange little misunderstanding about the way that Christians celebrate Christmas. You know this whole Advent thing we do? Lots of people will say that this is the countdown to Christmas, it's not. It's the countdown to the commemoration of Christmas and, the, and Christmas itself is designed as a reminder. Remember, the people of Israel had faced hundreds of years with God being silent, God saying nothing. They had every reason to believe that God would not fulfill what he said he was going to do. And in the face of that, God appears to Zechariah and he appears to Mary and he does precisely what he promised he would do. Precisely. You see, we don't look back at Christmas simply so we can remember that Jesus is a good God and that things that he did in the past. We look at Christmas, we look at the life that we see in Jesus Christ, the things that God has done, and recognize that all his promises are still true. Whether they're promises that have happened already or promises that are yet to happen, We live in an age where faith is difficult, where people will even denigrate faith, will pretend that faith isn't necessary, which is funny because everybody has faith. The question is their object of faith. Some will tell you to have faith in science, some will tell you to have faith in your sense data, others will tell you to have faith in yourself, faith in your feelings, faith in any number of things, all of which will betray you one time or another. The difference that we have is that we will tell you to have faith in Jesus Christ because he has done what he said he was going to do and he will do it again. Brothers and sisters, do you think that this world is going to undercut the gospel of Jesus Christ? He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. The legal system is not not as powerful as the gates of hell, and the gates of hell can't prevail against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think that God has forgotten you? Do you think that God can't possibly work in your life now? Well, Zechariah thought that too, and he was wrong. Do you think that your life is over, that there is no way God could use you anymore? With all due respect, you are not powerful enough to thwart the hand of God. Brothers and sisters, when it says in Romans eight twenty-eight that all things work together for the good of those who love and serve the Lord and are called according to his purposes, that is a promise. It's true, whether you see it now or not. And because we can see the work of God through Jesus Christ in Mary, in Zechariah, through coming to be the Son of God here on earth on Christmas Day, we can be sure that this is a true promise. Even more than this, There will come a day when sin will be no more. It's going to happen. There will come a day when everyone will, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a promise. The question right now is, are we going to live as if that's true or are we going to be deluded and pretend that it's false? Are we going to be lost in the delusions of given by faith in false things? Or are we going to trust that God is faithful to do what he says? And again, before you say, well, I need to have proof of this, you have it. That's what Mary saw. That's what Christmas is. Because Christmas, Jesus came, because Jesus actually came, we know that he will come again. Let's pray. Lord God, it's hard to preach on faith. I pray that you would use what trembling words I've given, and I use them to strengthen your people, to help them to know you and to trust you. Oh, Lord God, you are far greater than anything we could ask or imagine. Your truth is the truth. Oh, Lord God, let us not trust in tremulous, minor truths of our own creation, but trust ultimately in you. You were good to Zechariah. You were good to Mary. We know that you will be good to us. May we believe it. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen.